Hi, I'm Leah Potter. And I'm Meredith Roten, and we're two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. Leah is working on some reporting, so our producer, Matt Cullen, is stepping in to ask me about a story I wrote about alumni giving at GW. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Good. So what's the story you have to talk about today? This week, I looked at the percentage of alumni that participate in giving that basically donate to GW out of all of our alumni and compared that to the rest of our schools that are considered comparable to GW or our peer schools. So what we found out in our reporting is that our alumni giving rate has hovered between 8 and 9% uh, for the last five years, and that's lower than all of our uh, market basket schools. Did anyone from the university give you a reason for why they have a lower giving rate than other uh, peer schools? They didn't really directly answer the question. When we asked that, they said that they're working to develop strategies to get more alumni engaged, so they didn't really answer the question. But experts have told us in the past that our university is just a university that has not historically been well endowed, like some of the universities in our uh, our peer group, like New York University or, you know, like an Ivy League school that traditionally draws a lot of donations. And part of it really is time, according to these experts. So it just takes a while to develop an alumni base and to get alumni used to doing that. And then the obvious answer, which is that alumni just aren't feeling as connected with the university to give as they uh, would be at some of these other schools. Um, So what are those steps that the university said they're taking to increase this number? The university basically said some of the the things that they've been doing recently, doing uh, move-in centers um, and doing also flag day, which is where students uh, write notes to donors to thank them for the things that their donations fund uh, have helped the university. University. But in, in larger terms, the university, the Board of Trustees, created a new task force last year that was called the Volunteer Engagement Task Force that kind of looks at why our alumni aren't as engaged as they could be and like looking at how to change that. The task force is still going on this year, so they're still looking at this because it's a very complex issue. And also, the university president, Thomas LeBlanc, has made this one of his priorities in saying that we're going to track this and we're going to update you on the progress that we're making. Well, thanks for walking me through the story, Meredith. Thanks for coming on, Matt. One of our copy editors, Kelly Hooper, is here to talk to us about a story that she wrote about the essay this week. Kelly, I've heard that there are some people who don't feel comfortable in the essay, and you're here to tell us more about that. Right. This week I spoke to members and leaders in the GW College Republicans, and they said that members of their organization are generally disinterested in joining or running for the essay because of the essay's largely liberal makeup. And I also spoke with essay leaders and senators in the essay, and they said that while members of the essay generally might lean more liberal, political affiliation does not factor into the work that they do or the criteria for joining the essay. 
So you have like two contradictory statements here. So what what is kind of the college Republican side? Like, why do they feel so unwelcome? So I spoke with members and former members of the college Republicans that once ran for the essay. One member in particular, Diego Rebelar, he ran for the essay his freshman year. He ran for a Senate position in the Columbian College of Arts and Sciences. He is an active member of the GW College Republicans, and he was known for being active in that organization at the time that he ran. And he said that while he was running, he reached out to student organizations on both sides of the aisle, and he didn't receive any endorsements from left-leaning organizations. He said that when he was running for the student association, he didn't make it known that he was a Republican, and he tried to focus more on his platform, which included things like increasing the number of tutoring sessions for students. But he said despite that, it became clear that when he didn't receive endorsements from left-leaning organizations, that his reputation as a member of the college Republicans was overshadowing his platform. Did anyone tell him that or just he just assumed it? He said he just assumed that and also members, he said also members of the college Republicans sort of told him, hey, you might not win because you are a Republican and most of this campus is liberal leaning. Mm. So you might not receive votes or the endorsements from organizations that are more left-leaning. Were there any problems with essay members themselves, or was it more just like campus-wide, it's hard to get into the essay? The members of the college Republicans that I talked to didn't say that there was any discouragement from essay members about them running. It was more just a general feeling that they might not win because campus is more liberal and because historically the essay's makeup has been more liberal. What were um, leaders' responses to this? So I spoke with the Student Association President, Ashley. Lee. She said that the essay decides what issues it will tackle based off of student concerns, um, and the issues aren't brought up because of the essay members' political affiliations or political beliefs. They're brought up based on the concerns that students bring to them. And what do college Republicans feel like is missing from the essay? So I spoke with Caroline Hakes, who is the director of public relations for the college Republicans. And she said that no current members of college Republicans currently serve on the essay Senate or in the cabinet. And she said that that was due to the general political makeup of GW because Democrats outnumber Republicans on our campus in general. So she said that having more Republicans on the essay and more representation of conservative students on the essay would balance out opposing perspectives. But she said that it's often difficult for conservative students to enter an organization where they would be the outcasts. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see if there are any conservative members running for the essay in the spring. Thanks for coming and talking, Kelly. No problem. This week, our contributing culture editor, Catherine Abu-Ghazala, is here to talk to us about a game that she got to pilot way before anyone else, and this is something that is perfect for GW students. How did you get to test this? They've had a lot of playtesting before. Nick Reddick and Andrew Park, the creators of this board game called Partisans, posted on Reddit saying that they were going to have some last playtesting at this board game convention in DC, and it seemed like a really cool story, and we got to play it right before it's going to be released, which is in a few months. So this is for like a hardcore political science nerd. 
someone considered politically active, perhaps. Definitely, especially with the GW community, but I wouldn't limit it to that at all. They actually said in their interview that they had two different types of people playtest the game. Both Andrew and Nick are lawyers, and so they're around a lot of people that are politically active. So they had them playtest the game, as well as people who are board game enthusiasts who playtested the game and weren't really involved in politics at all. And all of the people that played it said that they had a lot of fun. It's really accessible to anyone that likes board games and is willing to play. For GW students though, I think that this is the most GW game you can get. So what was the experience of actually playing the game like? One of the things that they really hit on when I interviewed them was they didn't want to take a pessimistic look at politics. They wanted to take a really realistic and fun view at politics, give it a chance. And playing it really reflected that, I think. There were six ideologies and 10 different issues. And the game also doesn't make value judgments on those ideologies. And it was really cool because whether you're a hardcore liberal or a hardcore conservative, you don't know what ideology you'll play as. And were there any downsides to playing the game? Were there any issues that were like too complicated or things that didn't make sense? The first few turns, you have to get into it. You have to really follow the rules. You can't just kind of do whatever you want. You have to follow it. And then as soon as you realize what the structure of the game is, it's really easy to play and it's really fun. So the structure of the game is that you have the junior committee leader and the senior committee leader and it alternates every turn. So then you have groups split off into your committees led by those leaders. So everyone gets a turn as the leader, everyone gets a turn in a different group, and so everyone is always talking to each other. Here's Nick Reddick talking about their game. Our game sort of simulates the legislative process. So in our game, you basically assemble and pass bills. That's the core of our game. And if you think about politics, when you're trying to create a bill, there's so much gaming going on. You're trying to convince other people to vote for your bill and support your bill. And just like in games, you're basically trying to convince other players to do things, convincing the other players that, hey, this is in your best interest. Like in Settlers of Catan, right? It's like, hey, give me those two wheats, I'll give you a brick. I mean, it's a very simple sort of like negotiation that goes on in games. That also happens all the time in politics. You're always giving and taking. If this is something that appeals to people, where can they find the game? For anyone that wants to play this game as soon as possible, you have to contribute to their Kickstarter campaign, which can be found on the article online. It's $49 to get the game as soon as it comes out, and they estimated sometime around Christmas between three to six months, and then it'll be available for wider purchase. Thanks for giving us a sneak preview of the board game, The Partisans. Thanks for having me, Meredith. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features culture editor Margot Dines. This podcast is produced by managing editor Matt Cullen, video editor Ariana Dunham, and contributing photo editor Ethan Stoller. Music is produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Katherine Avogazala, Kelly Hooper, and Lizzie Mintz for joining us. See you next week.